Well, hello to you, wherever you're listening. My name is Phil Dye, and you're listening to Filtered, the podcast, and this is episode four. Please excuse my voice on occasion if it sounds a bit froggy. I've had a bit of the lurgy over the last week, but it's, uh, but it's on the improve now. This is the first part in a two-part series on pushing back against madness. Pushing back against madness looks at the cult of um, extremist transgender identity politics um, and the gender-affirming treatment of children, the impact on society, the impact on women and men. So we'll be looking as to what we can expect in the year 2030 if this contagion continues at its current rate. Now, there's many things not to like about getting old. Um, joint pain, cataracts, and uh, it's another thing. Oh, that's right, memory. Memory t- tends to go a bit, and indeed, I suffer from that occasionally. However, a major unmentioned problem is that when you've lived a long time, you've seen many, many things. You've heard many things and, and seen, the, seen the world in, in all its craziness, its shadow and its light. Um, you've seen stupid yet benign things like someone being shot from a cannon. And I remember I, I saw that live. My dad took me to, to see someone be shot from a cannon at the Royal Easter Show one year when I was about six Um, unbelievable things we've seen like a moon landing and horrible things like war, murders and famine. But when you're young, a bad thing that happens lacks the long list of other things that an old person has to compare it with. Um, For a young person today, and even those maybe in their 40s, COVID is the worst thing that has happened. Whereas for a 90-year-old, It could be World War II or the Great Depression or COVID or Vietnam or Chernobyl or thalidomide or the tsunami. You know, the list goes on and on. Now, unfortunately, I'm I'm now characterised by the World Health Organisation as an old man. And, And as far as negative comparisons, I've got quite a few to benchmark against. And on saying this, I state now that the social contagion of transgender identity and the associated trans extremist influence in society is the worst crime against humanity that I've seen in my lifetime. It, it's worse than the Twin Towers uh, disaster in the, in the USA. It's worse than the tsunami and it's worse than Chernobyl, I reckon. It's worse than every other terrible or stupid thing that I've seen because it's, it's corrupted the leaders of nearly every Western country. Now, Chernobyl was an accident. You know, no one meant that to happen. Um, a, a tsunami is the work of nature and a famine is often the work of nature. Um, it hasn't been out of our defence of freedom like maybe the Vietnam War. The closest thing I can think of is thalidomide, um, the drug that saw the birth of 10,000-odd babies born without arms and legs. But at least thalidomide was corrected fairly quickly. They got on top of it. But this whole 
trans identity cult um, is is built on a lie that has global reach. And this time, instead of investigating the cult, the media are a part of it and are blind to the reality, the science and those mutilated by it and wanting to detransition. Education departments around the world have embraced the whole thing. Politicians have, businesses, areas of health like psychology. And it seems we need to constantly celebrate it. So not content to just get on with their lives, trans radicals are demanding celebration, rights that impede on the rights of others, and especially the rights of women, and a degree of special consideration that makes you think they've discovered a cure for cancer. Now, while the science has been clear and evident that sex is binary and there is no sliding scale of sex, they continue to make up um, ridiculous theories that defy the science. There is no peer-reviewed research that a girl is born in the wrong body or a boy has a girl's brain. It's such an outright lie on behalf of the gender-affirming economy that this is why I say it is the worst crime against humanity that I've seen. Now, while um, I wasn't born during the German eugenics boom of 1933, I can see why some uh, rational types in the trans community, and there are many of them, uh, by the way, who are joining the rest of us and are pushing back against the extremists, um, Now, some of those rational types see this whole trans activist movement um, as a type of eugenics. Why? Because the extremists who push puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and surgery on young people are ensuring those young people cannot reproduce. Those kids who would have overcome their gender confusion with time, good parenting and psychological help um, will be childless. Even the US government's National Library of Medicine makes it very clear that reproduction is pretty much impossible. Unless they find the inclination and the money for egg and sperm cryopreservation, they can't reproduce. So, what are we in for if the current trajectory escalates and gender ideology becomes entrenched in Western society. What will 2030 look like? In this two-part series, I interview two important people with very definite views on what is happening and what the world could look like in 2030. In part two, and this is only part one, but in part two um, next week, I interview women's rights campaigner and co-host of Turf Talk Down Under, Angie Jones. Now, Angie has suffered at the hands of trans activists, uh, politicians who clearly don't understand biology, and a mainstream media hell-bent on showing only the trans activist part of the story and labelling everyone else as uh, either a Nazi or a hater. They ignore detransitioners, and if you watch or listen to the ABC, you'd think that 20% of the population is gender transitioning, uh, not the micro-minority of less than half of a percent. So that will be in about a week's time, my interview, part two, with um, Angie Jones. But in this part one, I interview Professor Diana Kenny. 
Diana Kenny is a former professor of psychology and professor of music at the University of Sydney and is now a consulting psychologist, psychotherapist, mediator, family dispute resolution practitioner, expert reviewer, report writer, supervisor, research, researcher and author. Good heavens. We should get time to do other things. Um, she's an international authority on the treatment of music performance anxiety. And gee, I know a little bit about that. Um, and she's the winner of the Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, the Sempre Achievement Award, 50th Anniversary Award. And she's written nine books. Um, one of them, um, The Psychology of Music Performance, that's under her musical hat, but also um, Gender Dysphoria in Children and Adolescents, Collected Papers, Children's Sexuality and Child Sexual Abuse. Lots of interesting stuff in her nine books. So I had the great pleasure of talking to uh, Professor Diana Kenny, and I asked her to guide us through some of her background and her uh, her interest in this issue. Okay. Um, look, I started life as a primary school teacher, and then I became a school counsellor and a district um, specialist for emotionally disturbed children. And um, from there, I did my PhD and I joined academia at the University of Sydney and stayed there for 31 years. Um, more recently, I've um, gone into private practice and um, I spend a great deal of my time working with families, with young people who are gender dysphoric and wanting to transition. And um, that's where a major focus of my work has been in the past few years. So that focus with gender dysphoria would have been a fairly new um, thing, I would imagine. Well, for me, um, I have been steeped in it for probably the last four to five years. Mm. Yes, that's when the increase has been. What do you think has created this change in in adolescence? Um, well, you may know that I am a great proponent of the phenomenon of social contagion. Mm. And um, I, I have been studying it in depth, um, particularly um, the mechanisms of transmission in young people. And I feel reasonably convinced that um, besides there being some kind of malign social influence that is driven by money, greed and profit um, because, of course, the big pharmaceutical companies are benefiting medical um, people, surgeons are creating niche positions for themselves, mutilating the bodies of young children, um, and it's very lucrative. Um, so, you know, putting the sociological aspects aside, um, social media and the internet and the pandemic have really driven um, this whole, um, well, I call it a psychic epidemic or a psychic pandemic in much the same way as the COVID virus has driven the COVID pandemic. It's exactly the same kinds of processes happening, one in the biological sphere and one in the psychological sphere. Yes, it's a type of hysteria, isn't it? 
Um, and what are some other social contagions that we've experienced in history? Well, when we're thinking about young people, um, of course, um, it's been historically documented over hundreds of years that suicide is socially contagious among um, adolescents and young people. So is drug use, so is delinquency, so is even obesity. Um, so is eating disorders and mm. non-suicidal self-injury or self-harm. Yes. So we've got numerous precedents amongst the adolescent population of this phenomenon of social contagion being a, a major driver of gender dysphoria and the desire to transition. Um, and there has been a lot of pressure on psychologists and doctors and teachers to simply go along with affirming this contagion. How are you coping with that and how are your colleagues coping with it? Look, not only um, is there um, sort of social pressure to go along with this, but there's also legal pressure because there are now um, legislation in four states of Australia that preclude or prohibit um, psychologists and psychiatrists from practising anything other than gender-affirming therapy. Um, and, you know, some of the states have imposed significant penalties for people who are reported to their professional bodies and to APRA and the, you know, Healthcare Complaints Commission um, of $30,000 in Victoria and 18 months imprisonment. Um, How often would this take, would that reporting take place? I know that Dr. Jordan Peterson has reported in Canada, but I didn't know it was common in Australia. It's not common, fortunately, um, because the legislation is so appallingly badly written and the complaint has to come directly from a patient. Um, you know, in the early days when, you know, the whole ideology was being propagated, um, for example, in my own case, I was invited to speak to large groups of people in the health profession and um, to school counsellors and to people working with young people. And, you know, if you've got 100 or 200 people in front of you, there are going to be some zealots in the group um, who are offended by, you know, the challenges that you present to them to think about what is really going on rather than to adopt, you know, the dominant paradigm. And um, they would make complaints. But in the end, those complaints couldn't be heard, A, because they weren't coming from a patient, and B, because no patient harm could be demonstrated. So... To my knowledge, nobody has as yet been prosecuted under this legislation, but I do know that in my own profession, um, the majority of psychologists are not accepting um, young people with gender dysphoria and are referring them either back to their GPs or to gender clinics. Um, and so there's a great shortage of competent experienced psychologists to help these families and young people. 
Referring them on to a gender clinic is a fairly one-way road, though. Absolutely. Um, you would think that those gender clinics just, just take that, that singular direction. Now, it's not only gender dysphoria which would be affecting um, your profession of psychology and from medicine into education, but uh, gender dysphoria is the pointy end of the stick. There's lots of... Um, <laughs> concepts leading up to that for example that there's no such thing as good and bad behavior there is no um wrong or right that um diversity is excellent and diversity really does trump merit there's a whole lot of stuff going on which is quite weird in in my mind does all of this affect the practice of psychology um look it inevitably does affect it but hopefully you know people who have many years of tertiary education and training um, and have been taught hopefully in their university courses and in their um, internships and so forth to think critically and analyze um, ideas for themselves rather than just to you know join the cult so to speak um, mm. so yes these are all very worrying um, trends in society um, and they're all dominated by a micro minority of society um, and they they believe for some reason that their voices should drown out um, the rest of the community and society at large. Um, so yeah. um, unless people retain the capacity to think for themselves and to be independent and critical thinkers, um, you know, these ideas take hold and they're very, very difficult to shift once they have entered the lexicon with new vocabulary and new legislation and new educational policies and new medical treatments, it's incredibly difficult, you know, to stop a runaway train. You mentioned universities before. Um, I know that you've been a teacher and I've been a teacher. Uh, I recently resigned from Macquarie University because of the amount of anti-science going on on that campus as far as um, transgender people go, as far as queer philosophy goes, um, as far as critical race theory goes. Um, and um, it struck me that students at that university, this is what they were being taught. They weren't being taught how to be a critical thinker. They weren't being taught to analyse and look at both sides of an argument. Yeah. Um, and I think this has also been happening in schools a lot too. We're not teaching students how to think, but we're teaching them what to think. Um, what's your view on that? Oh, I'm just shocked and appalled and dismayed um, because universities should be the thought leaders they should be the fearless critical thinkers that makes the rest of society um, really ponder very deeply about, you know, whether the earth revolves around the sun or as the Catholic Church would have had it in the 17th century, that the reverse was true, that the earth was the centre of the universe. Mm. And it took, you know, a courageous man um, to say that no your eminence the pope the earth 
actually does revolve around the sun. And for that, you know, he spent the last years of his life under house arrest. Um, and many people have paid similar prices in today's discourses. Um, and so many people have been sacked from their jobs for saying that, um, you know, the definition of woman is, you know, the um, XX chromosome and, um, you know, female genitalia and biological determination and that there are only two sexes. And people have been mm. sacked from universities for making those, you know, very long-held and established scientific statements. And um, proven. And yes, proven, yes. It, it, and I, I am constantly in a state of shock and dismay over the things that I'm hearing are going on in our tertiary and secondary and primary educational institutions. I'm horrified. The Filtered Podcast can be heard on most streaming services or the Substack platform. It only costs $30 per year Australian to subscribe to both the podcast and the magazine. That's just $20 US. To subscribe, just search for Filtered on Substack. Look, most of the listeners um, to this podcast and to the other podcast I run called Marking the Roll for Teachers are also stunned, Um, which brings me to the the question for you. Do you think teachers are, uh, are on top of this? Do you think they understand what's happening with the students with gender dysphoria? Or are they too bogged down in all of the other admin work and stuff they have to do in order to you know get a handle on it look i think there are three groups of teachers one group says this is adolescent nonsense gone mad and i'm not going to be part of it and i'm not going to collude with the young people i'm not going to deceive their parents by calling them a different name and pronoun at schools without informing the parents as to what is going on The second group are the ostriches. They don't want to know about it. Don't tell me about it. Yes, I'm bogged down in just so much paperwork and stress trying to teach, you know, post-pandemic school students. And the third group have been swept up in the wokeness and ideology of transgenderism and are fully supportive and, you know, involved um with with supporting young people who are declaring themselves transgender but unfortunately the education department is not helping teachers because they have been publishing bulletins such as bulletin 55 for example that says that the principal can act in loco parentis um and decide what is in the child's best interest thereby undermining parental authority um, so that it's it's extremely difficult for parents to cope in this environment because once upon a time, you know, the school and the legal institutions and so forth upheld parental um, authority for minors and now it's being totally undermined by government and the education department and so forth. And they also don't have to even tell the family or tell the parents if the student is socially transitioning at school, do they? No, they don't. No. Um, which I find extraordinary. 
Yeah, look, it's amazing. And, and yes, there are those strong teachers who refuse, but they risk their job, of course, if they refuse to acknowledge gender dysphoric kids. There, there are a lot of ostriches and you can't blame them in a way because they're so bogged down with everything else. Um, yes, but that other third is a worry. Um, Diana, are there any influences on parenting that may have created this um, ideological mess with adolescence? Well, of course, the people um, who take up these um, situations um, or beliefs or whatever, they've each got, you know, particular characteristics that make them more um, susceptible to influence. And um, there, there are sometimes parents who become susceptible and use their children to, you know, gain social status or membership of an in-group. And so, um, you know, there is some pathology there that um, is not really being spoken about because, you know, the transgender lobby wants us to believe that transgender is just a normal variant of normal. You know, it's a, a human variant of normal. It's not a pathology. It doesn't have to be fixed. And we've heard all these mantras of, you know, we're not broken, so we don't need fixing and all this kind of thing. Hmm. Um, and so parents are susceptible to the same influences that their children are. Um, and obviously the parents I work with are not that way at all because they're trying to prevent their children from doing irreparable harm to themselves. But I do know parents who have just uncritically accepted the statements from their children because they want to be seen as good parents and they want to be seen as allowing their child to have its own mind and its own thoughts and to de determine its own gender. I thought that that could be some sort of compensationary um, acknowledgement uh, to the childhood trauma that that kid may have experienced many years before. Because we know that 70% um, of kids with gender dysphoria have experienced three or more um, instances of, of um, child trauma, childhood trauma. It could be child sexual abuse. A compensationary act for letting them down in the past, perhaps. Look, the, um, the family dynamics are very complex and quite unique um, in each family. And this has to be understood very well. Um, before you launch in with any form of treatment or hypothesis. So I always do a very careful assessment of the family and the couple, the marriage, what's happening there, what are the relationships of each parent with this child, what is the child's position in the family. And I don't think it's wise or prudent to... Um, make generalised formulations because it's a very complex issue just within the family and then there's all, always the, you know, mm. the external influences on, on the social dynamic intruding into, you know, the family dynamic in, in particular ways that has to be assessed and understood. Yeah. Um, so it, it's a multiplicity of influences and factors that we need to yeah. Look, um, my grandfather was a transvestite back in the 40s and 50s, 
And um, he was an engineer by day and during the week, and he would go and he would dress as a woman and play uh, piano and sing for the Sydney Push wherever they had their meetings. Um, but that was totally accepted. It, <laughs> strangely enough, he, you know, there was no you know, hormones or puberty blockers or any operations involved. He just enjoyed dressing up. Yeah. Look, at, well, in your grandfather's case, A, he wasn't proselytising. He wasn't trying to convert other people, you know, into bestism. Um, he discussed it with his wife and she might not have been happy, but she tolerated it. So they worked something out between the two of them. And thirdly, he did no harm, um, you know, because he was a consenting adult and he was performing for consenting adults, so to speak. So it's a very different situation to what we've got at the moment where we've got, you know, these ever increasingly strident and destructive and violent voices trying to recruit, you know, young people um, into the trans army and if you've noticed in recent times how much more violent their mm. art has become. Uh, yes. You know, early on it was all rainbows and butterflies and gender unicorns, and now it's, you know, skeletons and knives and, you know, inciting violence and inciting, you know, riots and so forth. Um but for people who can't debate rationally yes. and, and with logic and yes. understand the background, that's all they have left. That's right. And, um, you know, I think some of those people are extremely unwell. Um, and it's a form of acting out. It's a form of um, expression of rage and hostility against what they perceive to be exclusion and marginalisation in their former life. But now, having joined the transgender army, they're in the in-group, you know, and they suddenly have friends and people who care about them and people who egg them on and support mm. them. And so, in one way, it's shoring up their mental health. But in another way, these kinds of groups have to become more and more extreme to keep themselves in the public gaze. And that's, in fact, what we're seeing you know, an increasingly extreme, strident, violence-promoting, um, you know, groups of individuals, and it's very worrying. The Filtered Podcast and Magazine are fully funded by subscriptions and donations. For $30 a year or $5 per month, you get all written pieces and podcasts from the Filtered Substack. Just click on the subscribe or donate boxes to keep reading or listening to the difficult, yet important views about society on the brink. So what uh, what are we in for then over the next uh, seven or eight years if this continues uh, with the momentum that it's got at the moment? What will we see in 2030? Well... I saw this amusing graph that was created um, by a statistician in America and it was half tongue-in-cheek but it was half, you know, serious as well. Um, and he pointed out that there was something like um, the, the in, 
the exponential increase in the number of young people who were declaring them trans themselves transgender and many of them rendering themselves infertile that two things will happen you know by 2050 there will be nobody left but the transgender people and when they die the human race will be wiped out <laughs> that's that's a very uh dire science fiction projection yes yes i, I do want to stress it's somewhat science fiction but he is yeah. making the point that you know, it, we've never in history seen um, the number of young people declaring themselves transgender as... Yes, and, and sexually, you know, castrating themselves. Yes, exactly. And um, a more serious study has pointed out that the number of adolescent males is 140 times greater than the number of adult male transgenders and the number of adolescent females is 350 times greater than the uh, female adult transgender. There's uh, something gone incredibly wrong and um, it just doesn't support their, you know, um, um, theory that it's just like homosexuality and left-handedness. You know, once the yeah. prohibitions from society have been removed, everybody's now free to come out and express their true self. But yeah. we've never seen anything like that in any other, you know, movement or um, freedom of expression. Can you just repeat that 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 statistic, especially around the women? The three hundred and fifty times more adolescent female transgender compared with the adult female transgender population. But Diana, a lot of the adult transgender population would not have had puberty blockers, hormones, or surgery. Mm -hmm. They're older, but all of the adolescent these younger ones are having those aren't yes they? they are not all of them not all of them some of them um are kind of um parked in the social transition um yeah and you know the strident declaration that they're bisexual or non-binary so they're kind of you know parking themselves in a sort of a, a safe zone if you like you know um, but we do know that um, the number of young people taking puberty blockade, cross-sex hormones and having surgery has dramatically increased um, over the past decade to very, very worrying levels. Very worrying. Yeah. And, of course, for teachers and educators, that's a real issue because uh, puberty blockers and hormones affect brain and memory, or it certainly did in the the only study done with sheep. Yes, yes. Uh, my, my colleague John Whitehall has been, you know, trying to press the point that the gonadotrophins, which are actually blocked during puberty have a much greater role in the developing body than just sexual development that yeah. it in fact fact does affect um overall brain development cognition and memory and um he was telling me about a study that has been done recently that shows that the um brains of adolescents who've been taking puberty blockers 
actually age at a much faster rate than, you know, the brains of normally developing adolescents. Um, yeah, that's for males uh, transitioning, isn't that's it? That's right. The males really suffer from yes, that. Yes, exactly. Um, and this is something that, you know, you don't hear reported. You don't, you know, hear the gender doctors telling young people, listen, I think you really need to think about whether you want to lose some IQ points. And if you're, you know, thinking about, you know, studying to be a, a lawyer or an engineer or a computer scientist, if you stay on these drugs, you know, much longer, you're not going to, you know, be able to achieve th those other goals in your life that you value and aspire to. Hmm. Um, I've never heard anybody being told that, um, you know. No, well, no, that certainly won't get into the news. Well, they've been told they're safe and reversible, which we know yeah. absolutely is not the case. No, they're, they're not. Um, but yes, yeah. unless they desist within the first few months of, of taking it. Um, I wrote an article uh, about a month ago about what, what uh, it was just after Pride Month in, um, in New South Wales, and um, that... Perhaps the end result of this, and this would be in another 15 years, may be transhumanism, not just transgender, but transhumanism, where people change their entire look so as they're not human. I know that sounds nearly as weird as the other, the graph that you, <laughs> that you cited, yeah. but have you seen any of that in your practice, that people are adjusting themselves in odd ways, their sexual organs, their... Um, the way they look, and it worries me about Botox and lips. I look at some people and think, good heavens, you're all lips. Um, I know, it's shocking. And yeah. is this a possibility? Look, there was a movement in the earlier days of transgenderism when some children were declaring themselves furries. I don't know if you... Um, yeah. Um, and, you know, pretending they're little fluffy pets and wearing, you know, funny little rabbit ears and, you know, rabbit costumes and so forth. It seems to have died down, but yeah. I have seen some very bizarre websites where people have actually had surgery to make themselves look feline or yeah. animal-like, um, undergone horrible facial reconstruction in order to appear more transhuman or animal-like but i think i think it's a fetish and i think it is it, quite rare i'm, I'm hoping i'm correct in, in yes. saying um I, I hope you are too <laughs> but it certainly exists and um i mean there was a terrible um kind of pandemic in china a few years ago where women were getting their calf muscles cut out so that they could have slim legs mm. And it was costing them a fortune and causing them incredible pain and difficulty walking, as you can imagine. Finally, the Chinese government has clamped down and said these operations are illegal and it has to stop. But thousands of women succumbed to the advertising oh, that yes. their legs were ugly if they had bulging calf muscles. And um, in China, as you know, most people travel by foot or by bicycle. And so yeah, they are going to develop, you know, calf muscles. And women were being convinced that they were ugly. And um, 
you know, in order to be attractive and, you know, um, stylish, they needed to get these calf muscles reduced. So we've got all sorts of bizarre evidence. And cheeks too, too, Diana. Women are getting their little, their cheek muscle removed. Have you heard about that? Facial cheek or? Yes, facial cheeks. Their facial cheek muscles, which gives them a squarer jaw. Oh, heavens. No, I hadn't. Yeah. Yeah, look, my partner pointed this out to me, and I couldn't believe it, really. I was quite amazed. It's called uh, bucal fat pad removal, where they remove this part of the cheek, and um, it, it doesn't grow back. Evidently, that fat doesn't grow back, but you can look like a termite-infected tree in old age. Oh, um, it's right. big in Melbourne. Yes, you'd believe that. Victoria is big with this sort of stuff. So, yeah. Now, do you think that boycotts of certain products can make an input impact? For example, Nike has been boycotted um, because of the Dylan Mulvaney thing. Um, do you think it makes much of a difference? Everything that pushes back against madness hopefully will make a difference. Um, and it's better to push back than not to push back. Um now, whether that's going to have a material effect on Nike's sales is probably yet to be seen. But as one of the people that I admire enormously once said, his name was Paul Keating, and he said, always put your money on self-interest. <laughs> if Nike discovers that their profit margin has reduced as a result of this gimmick that they've engaged in... I think they will quick smart get another model, you know, for their for the idiotic Dylan Mulvaney. Look, before we finish, I've been a little bit concerned that people like you and I, um, and, and many many people who are listening, will be called witches sometime over the next two years, and 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 mobs will come and grab us and burn us at the stake. It's like that Salem Salem witchcraft or the witchcraft, <laughs> the witch trials in Europe in the 16th and 17th century and early 18th, actually, where people who disagree with the dominant uh, coalition of the time right. can be labelled as all sorts of things. Right. Do you see any of that happening? Oh, yeah, it's happening already, you know, where transphobic is is the the main one but you know i've been called mad crazy you know expletive expletive um i have had very disturbing emails that i've needed to consult the police about so over all of this who are the winners and who are the losers over the next five or six years do you think oh well i think the children who actually proceed to puberty blockade and cross-sex hormones and particularly those who proceed to mutilating surgery are definitely the losers um the families are the losers i work with very distraught parents whose children have turned 18 and over whom they no longer have any jurisdiction and they have to sit back and watch their children destroy themselves um so those parents are the losers. Society is a loser for being so stupid <laughs> mm. um, as to um, endorse such nonsense behaviour. Um, people lacking lacking in courage and people in 
roles of leadership, I, I would have expected better. But as Carl Jung said, people go mad in groups and they only regain their sanity one at a time. And that's why the battle we're fighting for sanity is much harder and slower than the, the, the wars that we've already lost. And that was Professor Diana Kenny. Diana is a former professor of psychology and professor of music at the University of Sydney and now a consulting psychologist, psychotherapist, author and many other things. Um, I found one of the most interesting things that Diana had to say was that the contagion that kids get caught up in with gender confusion, the adults, the parents also get caught up in it that there is some sort of um, recognition not just for the for the kids but for the parents in the whole um, gender uh, transitioning thing. Anyway, that was part one of Pushing Back Against Madness. Next week, part two, I'll be interviewing Angie Jones, a women's rights activist, um, and we'll be looking at the impact of this whole gender thing on women and a little bit on men as well, and what we can expect out of that um, change in the year 2030. I'd like to finish this episode with a song that was written and recorded by a detransitioner, Grace Di Stefano. Now, we don't hear a lot about detransitioners, but indeed we should. The media should take far more notice of them and tell their story. Um, but Grace runs a business called Igniting Courage, and you can see all the links to that on the notes for this episode. Um, and Grace wrote this song in tribute to all of those born female. And it's a really an uplifting song. Um, Grace Di Stefano. Thank you, Grace, for your permission to use this song for this episode. And here is your song, Emerald Lady. Get your own riches 
They be loving and laughing Self-compassion Goddess Everlasting You don't need dissatisfaction At home in the world Break out of the mold Be your own supergirl Rise up Say enough of that shit You're the divine feminine She don't quit She don't They wanna throw you out And you know what the game is all about You've been listening to Filtered, the podcast. My name's Phil Dye. I'll see you again soon.